Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network Live. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the first strapless EKG accurate heart rate monitor sports watches, and Vitargo, the energy replacement and recovery drink of intelligent endurance athletes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? getting ready to do your first 5K, 10K, marathon, triathlon, Spartan race? Well, sit tight, because this is a show you just don't want to miss. Good morning, everyone on the West Coast. It's a beautiful, sunny morning. So, so sorry for all those folks on the East Coast that are dealing with all this heavy winter storm, the Northeasterners, or whatever they call it. Just, it sucks to have to deal with all that. Very, very fortunate to be where we are. Got a great, great show for you this morning. I have Junyong Pak, who is arguably one of the greatest uh, obstacle racers in the country today, uh, two-time world champion at the world, world's toughest mutter. And the reason I brought him on the show today is because he just established a new world record for the Guinness Book for running a marathon with 40 pounds on his back. I'm going to go ahead and give him a live mic, and let's go ahead and talk about it. Good morning, Jun Young. Good morning, Richard. How are you? How are you? It's early for me, but... uh, (laughs) It's early? Uh, I'm not... Yeah, I'm not much... (laughs) Dude, aren't you... You're in Boston, right? Yeah. So what's that make it for you, about uh, going on 11? Uh, me? Uh, what time is it there now? Uh, yeah, it's cutting out um, like every five seconds. Oh, I'm sorry. What time is it right now there? It's uh, 11.30. <laughs> That's early for you? Uh, just on a regular day, uh, you know, I'll be waking up around like between noon and one sometimes. Uh, I, I tend to train late and uh, stay up late and um, sleep late. That's really interesting. Uh, you know, most athletes I, I, I speak with are generally early risers. Yeah, I'm on the um, I'm on the bandwagon where uh, you know I, I like to train when my body is most prime for um, for exercise, and for me that's uh, around like. 4 to 6 p.m. and you know several hours after after I'm um, awake. So. Wow. Well, that's that's an interesting view. That's really an interesting view. So uh, we've got a lot to talk about, but uh, I want to start out by discussing number one: what made you want to try to establish this record? Uh, you did it in New Orleans, correct? In Oh, Jun Young, you're, you're breaking up. Yeah, me too. Um, maybe I should try calling in on uh, on the Skype as you as you suggested because I'm calling on a cell phone. I don't think that's the reason why, but it, like I said, about every ten seconds it cuts out for about. Okay, go ahead and do that, and uh, I'll keep people busy while you're gone. Okay. Okay, so while he tries to find a better line, and I, I think it's probably got to do to some degree with the weather they're facing out there in Boston right now. But um, so the, the story is this. Uh, he set out to see if he could break the, the Guinness Book of World Record for the marathon carrying a 40-pound weight on his back. And, you know, to, to better paint the picture for you, you know, he's – Five foot eight and 140 pounds. So adding 40 pounds of weight to his frame is a considerable feat, considering that um, he's just not that big a guy. And then going out to try to break this marathon record, 
which I believe, and I'll, I'm sure he'll he'll help to uh, uh, to correct me if I'm wrong, but the record used to be in and around three hours in about 24 minutes uh, to run this distance with a weight on your back. And what I understand, and again, I'll have him cleared up for me, but it, it appears the unofficial record that he established was three hours, 12 minutes, and 47 seconds, which would be the new record, and he smashed the old record by over 12 minutes. Now, I know a lot of you out there sitting there thinking, how in the heck do they do it when you know, you're struggling to try to break four hours for a marathon or even five hours for a marathon just carrying your own body weight, let alone adding another 40 pounds to your back? My guess would be that exponentially it gets more difficult as time goes by. It's just not fun trying to run with 40 pounds on your back. It's certainly not for 26 miles. So, um, I, and I, I, you know, actually was, you know, did a stint living in the New Orleans area, worked there for a little bit. And so I know that the terrain is, is pretty flat, uh, but even still, uh, that's, a, that's a long, long way to run with 40 pounds on your back. And, okay, so now that we're still kind of waiting for him to get back online with us, I apologize for that. You know, we're, this technology is what it is. You know, you got people calling in from all parts of the world. Sometimes the phone line is a little edgy, and that seems to be the case today. But um, I want to also remind you of a few things. Number one, the Spartan Cruise is coming up March 6th through the 9th, leaving out of Miami. We're talking about a cruise ship full of athletes that are, you know, hoping to get a piece of a $50,000 prize purse to do a sprint event on a private island in the Bahamas. I'm going to be there, and I have some very, very cool tricks in store for the athletes that are going to be aboard that ship, at least the ones that are interested in participating in the games I plan on putting out. So I expect it to be an epic journey. If you're interested, there's still time to get on that ship. Uh, all you have to do is go to Spartan.com and just in the event calendar, pull up the, the Spartan Cruise. All the details will be there for you. I know uh, a lot of my friends are going to be there. And uh, again, I'm really, really looking forward to it. I could use a break anyway. I'd like a little vacation, but... Uh, how, how much better could that be to, to go to a private island and uh, participate in an event um, in, that, in that setting? So I'm very excited about that. Um, and see, what else is doing? I also, I'm going to give you a little sneak preview. We plan, if everything goes as we hope it will, to bring a group of folks to Havana, Cuba for the half and the full marathon which will be coming up in November. We're going to talk about it a lot. If everything works out, if uh, the cards fall into play, and I expect they will, this is something we're going to be talking about a lot. So make sure that you uh, you put that on your bucket list, and we'll we'll get back to you on the details later. Okay, I got him back. Let's go ahead and try give him a live mic. How's that? Junyang, can you hear me? Hello? Can you hear me? Well, I can't hear you, my friend. I guess you're going to need to try to call back. If you can hear me, go ahead and hang up and try to call back and see if you can get it to work. Um... A landline would be best if you can't work it out with Skype, if you can't work it out with your cell phone, try that. But uh, as we speak right now, if you're speaking to me, I can't hear you. All right. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and wait to see if you can get that sorted out. And uh, in the meantime... Um, those of you that have some questions or anything off the hook that would help me to eat up a little bit of this time while we wait for him to get back on the line, you're welcome to give me a call right now. 
347-996-5851. The number here again is 347-996-5851. Give us a call. Anything you want to talk about. Interested in the cruise? Interested in Cuba? Interested in finding out uh, what kind of things you ought to be doing about the injuries you're facing as you run? Interested in heart rate? Want to ask me a question about the Mio Alpha, Mio Fuse? Anything to do with Vitargo? Anything. Just give us a shout. We've got to buy some time here while my friend finally, oh, looks like he's trying it again. Let's try this one. Are you there? Yep, I'm here. Bingo. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm trying with the cell phone again. Um, I, I think it might have been the... Uh, Goodbye. It might have been the uh, the Bluetooth uh, wireless headset. Hopefully that's it. So. Yeah, well, you sound pretty clear now. Okay, good. I just have to hold it in my hand. That's all. Dude, dude, I'm the master of dance. I was over here dancing like crazy to try to buy some time. <laughs> sorry about that. I'm really sorry. Okay, so while you were gone, one of the things that we talked about is I kind of did the prelude to your your Guinness Book of World Record event. Can you can you kind of give us where your head was at, why you wanted to do it, and what kind of things you did to prepare for it? Sure. Um, I actually had no... Hello. I'm losing you again, my friend. Oh, no. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Talk now. Uh, how about now? Yep. Hmm. I'm not really sure what's going on. I normally get a fine signal right here. So, um, well, anyway, let me try it again. Um you know, this wasn't a record that I actively sought out. It was um, something that a friend of mine, Morgan Mikai from Cal- uh, from Canada, she uh, she messaged me one day just out of the blue and said, you should go for this because I think you could uh, crush it. So um, so that's, that's where I found out about it. And um, the more I thought about it, the more it was in line with uh, my, my goal. So, um, so I picked a date. Uh, in between obstacle racing season and uh, and gave it a whirl. Okay, so when you say it was in keeping with your goal, what was your goal? Uh, well, just uh, it's really obstacle racing is my focus right now. Um, and, um, you know, this is sort of like the ultimate strength training for your legs and conditioning. So, it um, it was an easy transition. I didn't really have to do all that much differently from what I was already doing, except maybe you know adding weight. Um, so uh, so like, yeah, it was just an easy easy uh, two week transition. Um, I mean, ideally, I would have liked to uh, put in about another two weeks of specific training for this, but. Um, but I got in two solid weeks and, um, all the, the backlog, um, training that I'd done for World Toughest Mudder, uh, just ca- transitioned and carried over very well to this event. So, okay. So, good. uh, help, help me out with this. Now I, I, I looked back in, in, uh, your history and your, your events with the Boston Marathon and, uh, is this a PR for you to run a 312? No, 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 no. You mean just like a straight up marathon? Yeah, yeah. No, I've um, I've consistently been knocking on two thirty, uh, the two thirty door. Um, that's sort of been my goal from the very first marathon that I ran back in two thousand eight, and pretty much I I, I want to say I ran like seven or eight, and they've all been between two thirty two and two thirty nine. So okay. Um, yeah, so I'm pretty consistent. I really haven't, uh, fallen off the, um, fallen off the pace that much. Uh, this was, you know, this is something that it was uncharted territories. I wasn't really sure where I would land. I thought I, I figured I could do about 315 and, um, I could do it. You know, I thought maybe, maybe because the longest training run that I'd done with the 40-pound pack was 15 miles. So 
um, just because, you know, life got in the way and uh, interruptions. But um, so there was a big question mark once I hit that mileage and in the race itself. Um, and uh, sure enough, like when I get to about 60 miles, I started my pace started uh, trailing off a little bit, but managed to keep it together. Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, congratulations. That's quite a feat. Um, Thanks. Now, let, let's back up a little bit. Now, you, you were at World's Toughest Mudder 2014. Uh, did you pull out of that race? I did, yeah. I had some um, pretty unfortunate uh, uh, miscalculations of the weather. And this is a 24-hour, for people who don't know, it's a 24-hour sort of all-you-can-run and obstacle buffet um, in Las Vegas this year. It's a new venue. And just it's a five-mile circuit, and you just do as many laps as you can over 24 hours in um, about 20 or so, 20 to 25 obstacles per lap. And it's Las Vegas, so you kind of expect it to be pretty warm. The weather forecast was calling for warm weather, you know, 60 uh, 70 high, 70, I think it got as high as 75. So it was just completely, um, uh, it took everyone aback a little bit. Um, and me especially, uh, when it started dipping into the fifties and then forties, and I think it even got into the thirties, but, um, before I, uh, was still in it or after I was still in it. Um, and the winds were just crazy. It, it kicked up this huge dust storm, and we're going in and out of water like nonstop. We're going into water that was about, you know, probably 55 to 60 degrees. And it doesn't seem like it's very cold, but when um, when you're constantly wetted down and there's a wind and it's getting cold, you really need um, – you just really needed a proper wetsuit and uh, – and I underestimated uh, the cold, and I um, did not bring the right wetsuit. You know, I talked to Hunter McIntyre yesterday. He he participated as a team in that event, and they, his team won. Uh, but he, I I asked him about you, and he, by the way, he had a lot of great things to say about you. He has a lot of respect for you. And uh, but he had said that he thought that your miscalculation is you probably came into the event a little too light that your body fat was down quite a bit. And, um, you know, it just, you know, that and combined with the other things that you just mentioned just got the best of you. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, I try to cut – I come from a um, running efficiency uh, background, and, and I'm trying for something that's, you know, 24 hours, every ounce is going to cut into your um, – um, cut into your uh, energy stores and your running efficiency. Um, each stride is magnified by, you know, that fraction of a percent more. So I came in with, um, I try to cut as much lean. I mean, um, I try to come in as lean as possible. And I noticed my body's composition changed. Um, like I was getting a little bit colder um, for, you know, the same time of year. And um, and I should have taken those cues, but uh, but the thing is, you can you can overcome that um, by by wearing a thicker wetsuit. You know, it's simply, you know, if you're too cold, then just put on more more insulation insulative layers, and you're good to go. But the big problem was, um, I brought. The thickest wetsuit that I brought was just not thick enough. It was a three two millimeter and had um the sleeves cut off so um, just couldn't recover um, it was right. such a such a blatant miscalculation because I'd done this so many times before I should have um and I've, I had the right wetsuits at home, but I didn't bring them because I just didn't think it was going to get that cold. Uh, so shame on me. Really. Yeah. Now um, I understand Nicodemus Holland pretty much had the same type of a beatdown. He he got about uh, I think sixty miles deep and it just it took him out 
and uh, I haven't spoke to him about it since, but my guess is he was essentially facing the same type of thing. I, I know that the weather was terrible that, that day or for those 24 hours, a lot of heavy, heavy wind, and I know it got cold as well. So, um, you know, it's a tough one. That's why they call it the world's toughest mudder, right? Yeah. I mean, that uh, speaks volume, volumes when a guy like Nick Holland uh, drops out because I, I was running side-by-side side with him, and um, for a large portion of the race, had some conversation with him. Great guy. Um, and you know his background. He's he's one tough dude, and yeah. he was in it to not quit. And right. um, it tr- drove him out. His main problem was he didn't actually – run with a wetsuit until it was too late i started putting my wetsuit on after the third lap so that's that's where i was i ran out of outfits uh you know like four laps deep five laps deep um he was still running in shorts and a t-shirt at 10 p.m when i saw him um uh and he he chunked up for that race apparently he um he added a couple pounds of uh fat for uh insulation which is you know, it, it yeah. worked in his favor until, like, there's only a certain amount that the body can do um, to battle the elements. You could be the toughest guy in the world. You can you can be as acclimated to the cold as much as you want, but at some point, um, the bio bio um, biomechanics, the uh, biochemistry of it all. Um, will get to you when your cell temperatures drop to a certain level, they just stop functioning properly. It's not, there's no willpower in the world that can uh, keep you from, um, you know, overcoming or from falling uh, subject to that. So I got, I got somebody just chimed in and asked me to ask you uh, what it's like to try to run with a wetsuit on for a long distance. It's um it's very much in line with running with a uh a forty pound backpack actually. It's just not very comfortable. The whole time, every stride is just kinda like yeah, it's just doesn't quite feel right. But um the person who can just kinda put that to the side and not think about it and think about the focus on the task at hand which is covering a lot of miles as fast as possible. Um, they're the ones that gonna that are gonna do the the best, you know, in these right. sort of like suffer fests. Um, because no, we're all in the same boat. Everybody's ultimately gonna have to put on a wetsuit or freeze to death. Um, and you know, it, it's miserable, but it's not um, completely intolerable. Right. Okay, so I, I picked up a comment that you made, and uh, I don't know where I found it, but and I'm assuming you said it, but here's what it is. It's, it's, the quote is, it's an addictive rush when you're so good at tolerating pain and you come out of the other side. Did you say that? I don't remember saying that. <laughs> Someone said you did. <laughs> okay. But does, does, uh, that sound, does that sound like you? Uh. Actually, I don't think it does, but I mean, it's it seems like something I would have said, but um, like maybe not. I I don't think I would have said maybe uh, so good at. <laughs> I am I am quite um, I am quite uh, comfortable with the pain um, and discomfort levels of uh, you know these sort of events, but um, but yeah, it's. It is an addictive rush. Um, you know, in the moment, it really sucks. And, um, you know, everybody deals with it to some level of um, competency. But, like I said, the people who can really set that discomfort aside and just uh, focus on the task at hand, uh, they they can, you know they can do this for hours on end. Um, whereas, you know, your typical person will, uh, will break and fold and stop. Um, there's nothing profound about that. You know, it's just 
some people have what it takes to uh, just keep going and other people choose not to. You know, uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Charlie Engel, and he's probably listening right now. But Charlie Engel, if you don't know him, he uh, he, he he and a couple of friends ran across the Sahara Desert, and they did a documentary around it, and it was an HBO special. Basically 4,600 miles across the Sahara Desert, uh, averaging uh, in you know 60 miles a day plus with the heat, the, the, the wind, and the whole thing in sand. And one of the things that he said that was pretty much in keeping with what I thought you said was that he embraces pain. He looks forward to it because it helps him to better understand who he is. And he knows when, when he gets into this place that there's going to be an experience that's going to help him. And, you know, I don't know that he's addicted to suffering as much as he's addicted to the, the, the outcome that results from having suffered. Would you say that's more accurate for you? That's exactly it. Um, I didn't finish my thought, I guess. Um, but, you know, n- nobody loves pain. If they say they do, it's sort of like saying they love the taste of alcohol. It doesn't actually taste good, but when you really think about it, you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you have a beer and you, you, you learn to like the taste of it. It's, it's an acquired taste. And, um, you feel happy after a beer, you know, and, and you, after, after an incredible, uh, incredibly strenuous event that, uh, really tests your limits and whether, um, it makes you question whether you have what it takes, uh, and you come out the other side and you're still standing, that sense of accomplishment um, erases all the pain, the memories of the pain that you endured through the event and makes it all worthwhile. And uh, ultimately, that's all you remember. Because that's why people say, you know, when they finish like a marathon for the first time or or um, they, uh, you know, do one of these ultra marathons or world's toughest matter or even a 5K for someone who's just been living on the couch. They finish, they cross that finish line and they say to themselves, I'm never doing this again. That was just horrible. And then you see them signing up for another one like a day later. <laughs> um, that's that uh, psychology behind, um, you know, that addictive uh, – rush from such a major accomplishment. Right. So while we're on these uh, uh, pain thresholds, I know that you yeah. participated in the death race. I, I read your blog and I really was, uh, I was really taken back by your blog because you did a really good job explaining your experience and uh, which, which I found was pretty interesting because there's not a lot of real good description of what occurs when you participate in such an event. And to some degree, what I gathered, and I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm going to find out right now, hopefully, is that you, you seem to be at ends with the race director. You feel like you think feel like Joe was out to get you. <laughs> Joe and Andy and I were all good friends. Um, I I love Joe. He's such a great guy. Um, and um, and he, he sort of. I'm not sure if it's like a father figure or a brother figure, like that whole relationship, but he's looking to test me at whatever it costs. You know, even if I don't finish, you know, he wants to know what I'm made of and uh, have me find, define myself uh, as a result. And whether I finish or not, you know, I will have taken away something substantial from the whole experience. And, um, I've done three death races, actually, uh, 2011, 2012, and 2013, and I've only finished the 2012 one. That's the year that I took second. Um, And the 2013 edition was the one where he had a target on my back, and he was out there to really get me that year. And uh, he gave me, uh, like, we had to self-select a rock pretty early on in the the event that we would have to carry for, I don't know, something crazy, like about 30 miles. And we're supposed to carry this thing in front of our um, bodies, like down by our abdomen. 
you couldn't put on your shoulder, you couldn't put in your backpack. Of course, everyone ended up doing, rigging something up, you know, like where it was basically cheating anyway. But um, he turned down my first two rocks. Now, I went from like one where it was like 15 pounds, which is about the size of what everyone else was picking. He's like, no, that's too small. You're the world's toughest mother. You got to pick something bigger. Come back with like a 35-pound rock. He's like, still too small. <laughs> so then I, I picked out this gigantic boulder, not – just based on what he was telling me, I didn't think we were going to be carrying it for so long. So I picked out this boulder, which I ended up retrieving after the race and weighing. This thing weighed 52 pounds, 52.4 <laughs> pounds. Now, I weigh about like 140, 138. Um, my, the backpack that we, uh, the pack that we uh, had to carry with all the water, um, Essential gear, you know, like the gear list that they had us carry was anywhere between 30 and 40 pounds with or without water and food, you know. So you figure I was carrying about somewhere between like, um, you know, 70 to 80 pounds uh, up and down some of the gnarliest terrain. So um, it's, it's that sort of uh, it's that that sort of thing where you know like the death race is this incredible challenge, but it's not a race. It's like it's different. There's probably out of 230 or so people that started that event, um, you know, there's probably 230 different variations uh, and unique experiences. It was it wasn't like Everybody does the same thing, right? So uh, that that's what I meant by uh, he was out to get me. Um, um, but at the end of the day, he was really disappointed. Like he was sad to see that I um, that I dropped out, and um, I, that wasn't his intent. You know, it, he in his mind he thought that I could actually carry this thing. Um, um, and still finish, which just happened to not be the case. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting yeah. because I, I interviewed Joe a couple of weeks back, and him and I have been communicating uh, a little bit lately, and and I'm getting to know him. And uh, he, you, you described him to a T. Uh, I, I've heard from many people that oh. uh, you're gonna you're gonna disappoint him. No matter what it is, you're going to end up disappointing him because what he expects of you is always greater than you'll able to achieve. And he, he's his interest is to suck whatever out of you you could possibly provide, and he he expects that it'll make you a better man when it's all said and done. Is that's pretty much accurate? Yeah, um, I think this is sort of a like a continuously um, refined. Uh, goal of his, you know, back in 2005 when he did his first, put on his first Spartan death race, oh, well, it was just the death race at the time. Um, I think it was 2005. He couldn't be that selective. You know, if he, if he did what he's been doing to, to the animals that come out to these, his events um, in the past few years, like nobody would have finished, not even close, you know, but, um, and his, expectations would have been much lower but as he's started to you know peel back the layers of uh the human capacity he's been able to say this is now what i expect of you this is what people are capable of doing you know um and that's what i that's what i'm going to get back you know there was this great uh, scene in um, Jurassic Park, the movie, the first one, where there was some scientists that were working on, um, you know, they were uh, they were monitoring these dinosaurs that were um, that were, you know, that were supposedly, um, you know, under control. And the one scientist, like, he had this aha moment, and he's like. Um, well, you're only searching for this number of dinosaurs, you know, 
search for more. And when when they did that, they they found that there were um, that there were actually more than they had accounted for because you know, they 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 don't grow by themselves. They don't reproduce. They weren't supposed to be reproducing by themselves. They were supposed to be being created by what what um, what the scientists were uh, genetically producing. And and the reason I say this is. You know, you don't know the capacity of a human being until, you know, you you open up the floodgates, you you expand the the room that this person sits in and see how much of it he can fill with his capacity. Um, uh, it's and over the past few years of doing these endurance events, I've come across some pretty amazing people and. Ten years ago, I would have said you're nuts if you if you told me that I was going to even run like race a marathon. And then five, years ago, you were saying that you're nuts if you can have somebody if you can put on an event that lasts for seventy two hours, like absolutely insane, like continuously gone. You know, you're not allowed to sleep, that kind of thing. And then now, I question like. Have we actually reached the limit? Um, you know, I, I think there's still a lot of way, uh, a long ways to go. Um, you know, like the guys that are doing these um, these uh, obstacles, the, the world's toughest mutter, like Ryan Atkins. He last year he did a hundred miles in twenty less than twenty four hours. In addition to um, in addition to doing like 22 obstacles a lap, it's it's pretty it's pretty insane when you consider that just even doing a hundred miles road race in under 24 hours would be pretty impressive. Um, sure. And then you throw in the fact that then you throw in these obstacles that actually take you minutes at a time. To, like some of them will take you minutes at a time to complete. Uh, where you're not making any forward progress, you're just like doing this one thing, and it's taxing you. You know, that's it's pretty incredible. I'm I'm thoroughly impressed by um, the the caliber of athletes that are coming out to these events. So you know, um, a couple things. First of all, for the audience's sake, uh, we want to make make sure that we we give you credit for the fact that you won the toughest mutter two years in a row, and. It, it appears that, uh, just based on the research that I've done, there was a significant difference in the amount of distance you were able to cover from one year to the next. And I'm assuming that it has a lot to do with your tweaking, your nutrition, and what have you. Um, can you talk a little bit about the way you fuel? And, and I, I want you to touch on, if you would, uh, and I'm sure you're aware of, the fact that a lot of these guys now are taking a hard look at going into this high-protein, low-carbohydrate mentality. Uh, and I know that relative to what I learned about you in your last success, that you you were feeding a lot of carbs uh, leading into the race uh, or the first portion of the race. Just give me a broad sense of the way you feed and what you feel successful for you and what your thoughts are on the whole concept of trying to, uh, you know, re- reverse the trend of high-carbohydrate feeding during a race like this. Okay, well, to address the first part of the question, um, well, your statement, I think uh, people are going farther and farther because they're they're understanding the signs of the sport better. It's part of it has to do with the nutrition, but you take an an event like World's Toughest Mutter or Death Race, and the mystery um, of the event has been sort of stripped away. It's not. It's not a surprise anymore what to expect at these events. So they come better prepared and they carry out, they execute a plan that is to the T. Um, you know, like the world's toughest mother the last, this past year, uh, we were going at a pace that stripped away all uh, inefficiencies. Like, the, like Ryan, uh, Nick, and I, we were going at such a ball breaker uh, pace 
Um, and um, there was we leaned that that race out so bad. It's like we didn't take we didn't waste more than like ten seconds at a time at any obstacle. We'd come into the pit and we'd fuel up, and we were literally like just right back out there. In fact, like carrying fuel with us as we as we pass through the pit stops. That's the kind of race that it's become. The first year, you would stop, pit, change gear as you need, you know, like change socks, assess your situation, you know, like take a whole, taking a whole meal, you know, like a small meal, but you're sitting and eating it versus doing it on the run. That's that's the fundamental difference between um, you know 2011 and 12 to 13 and 14 and beyond. Um, so that's the first addressing the first part of your statement. And the question is um, about uh, carb to protein and fats. Um, it really depends on where your engine's burning. Um, for for people like myself uh, who will be going at a pace that requires more carbohydrate uh, replenishment, uh, immediate fuel, my carb to protein ratio is going to be much higher than somebody who's walking the whole thing, like a 24-hour race. You have time to break down those proteins and actually utilize them. So it makes more sense to um, take in uh, a higher protein ratio. Um, and well, the thing is the fat, depends- right? The, the, the fat? The, yeah, the, the, the key to these guys, for the most part, is the high ratio of fat they're suggesting that they're able the term they're using is being fat adapted that they're they they've trained themselves to be more capable of accessing their fat stores and sparing their sugar stores which the 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 conundrum or the quandary that I have uh you know and I I should preface this by telling you since you don't know me that I do VO2 testing and resting metabolic assessments and have been doing so for close to 20 years now in athletes and I just, I just, I mean, it ends with the whole thing because I know the metabolic cost to work and the the energy pools and where they come from relative to intensity, um, it, being what it is, I've never met anybody that's just been able to switch the, or flip the switch and cause their body to just, you know, uh, survive on a handful of carbohydrate when they're going out for 24 hours at a relatively good clip. Well. When you're um, going for 24 hours in these sort of events, you're still very much within the uh, aerobic, aerobic threshold. And, um, and basically what I'm taking in for fuel, I'm burning right away and supplementing very little bit with, uh, with my fat stores. Uh, you know, I, I do buffer with my fat stores. Um, I would question whether people are actually utilizing their fats when they're doing um when they're doing like a slightly you know higher intensity like let's say a marathon type event um i would question whether some of these athletes are actually utilizing their fats um, optimally um uh i've trained my body to be such um be such an athlete like I regularly go out for marathon training runs and not take a lick of calories and finish not at all like deplete like not feeling depleted. And by all calculations I wouldn't be able to do that if I were uh if I didn't tap into my fat reserves. Um and so you know so I am I am utilizing fat stores, but for a twenty four hour event there's no way you can subside entirely on fire, just fat um, fat stores when you're going at that pace. So I'm trying I'm trying to consume as many calories in an easily digestible form as I'm going to put out in work uh, and supplement with fat as little as possible. That's why my carbohydrate um, carb to fat and protein uh, ratios are so high. Um, uh, because because I need the immediate fuel. Do you, do you know who? Uh, it sounds like you're a student of the endurance athletes, and uh, I, I'm curious to know if you've ever heard of Yannick Koros. I have actually. He's the endurance record 
the Greek guy. Right, right. Now, yeah. uh, if you look at the research they did on him, when he was doing these bizarre multi-day stage races, he um, he finished, uh, you know, the information is not in front of me and it escapes me to some degree, but uh, what I recall was he was able to complete several days of 100-mile-plus pace, um, extremely hard running for for day after day after day after day, and they weighed and measured his food and weighed him and measured him and he lost literally no weight over the course of, I think it was like nine days, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, covering, uh, you know, over a thousand miles. And he basically subsisted almost primarily on baklava. You know what that is? Yeah, it's, it's a, a Greek pastry or something like that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very, very sweet pastry uh-huh. that yep. he just basically pounded all day and, he would. He had it down to a point where he was putting back, on average, as many calories as he was as he was burning, and he was burning you know, just a buttload of calories every single day, and he came away from the thing unscathed, no injuries, no problems, just you know obviously a little fatigued, but at the end of it all, um, he was able to manage uh, his energy uh, expense and his storage almost precisely without having to change his composition. He didn't lose weight, which is bizarre to, to do that much work and not end up in a, in a weight deficit after having done so. So, I mean, I, I don't know. I just, I'm a student of the work and I, I try to keep my ears open and pay attention and listen to the experts and, and learn what I can. But I just think it's fascinating when you guys push yourself really hard and what drives you and what is able to sustain you for the efforts. So having said all that, uh, I got a question for you. Are you planning on competing in some obstacle races at shorter distances, or are you just kind of like honed in on the really long work? Oh, I'm all over the place. I'm um, I do it all. Uh, just because I think it's sort of like uh, you know, investment portfolio where you want to be diversified. Um, you, for obstacle racers in particular. You, you're going to benefit from uh, an amalgam of exercises. Like the best obstacle racers should be well-versed in sprinting all the way up through long, grueling, grinding, indoor uh, distances with a little bit of pull-ups peppered in, you know, and some crunches and squats, you know, power stuff. Uh, you want to cover all the bases of fitness, you know, strength, power, speed, agility, endurance, uh, balance, um, everything. And that's that's how you're going to become the best uh, obstacle racer in present day. Now, that might change in the future when the makeup changes as well. But for now, that's how you're going to get better. Um and so I, I, I've been racing everything from the 800 meters uh, marathon and beyond, you know, and the 24-hour uh, um, obstacle races and stuff. So, so, so yeah. what, what would you, if you had to pick an event uh, where you had the best chance to to win at, what distance would it be? It would probably be like the 24-hour type uh, event. Okay. I don't. Uh, I don't you, like them the best. Not not by a long shot, but um, but that's yeah. That's where my gears are uh, most tuned to. Have you? Uh, I'm assuming that you, since your ears to it, you know about the the West Coast Combine they just did. Uh, they have an East Coast Combine that's probably coming up. Are you planning on attending one of those? Oh, the Spartan Combine. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. If it's close by, I mean, I'm really travel limited, so um, it would be fun to do. I don't think I would do as well as some of these other guys because it it's probably – I haven't looked into it too much, but it seems like it's probably a little bit more in line with CrossFit um, where, you know, it doesn't take into account proportionate strength. Uh, you know, there might be elements of it, but uh, – for the most part, there are going to be large portions where it's just 
level of strength. Across the board, everybody's lifting a certain amount of weight or pulling a certain amount of weight, dragging a certain amount of weight. So that doesn't really lend to my favor when you've got, you know, much more powerful guys that can simply have more horsepower. No. Well, that, that's kind of the nature of the game with obstacle racing anyway, right? They don't look at you and say, well, you're 140 pounds, so you get the lighter bag to carry right. or whatever. you got you got to contend with whatever they throw at you, right? Yeah. But I, I know, still think, um, I still think like the 150-pound range is like the sweet spot for uh, an athlete build right now, like I say, in this present-day um, sport of obstacle racing, because you still have to carry all that extra weight an engine with you throughout the whole course. That's ultimately where your greatest time savings are going to come from is the, um, the carrying of your own body weight, which is, you know, the running aspect. Right. I agree with you. And I, I'm, I'm training Hunter right now. And, and, and you know, his goal is to see, uh, the, you know, he wants to win the world's championships in October and, you know, at 190 pounds, you know, obviously the challenge for him is the amount of weight he carries. He's fast. Uh, and he's powerful, uh, but he still has to carry a lot of weight when he does what he does. And, you know, so far he is shown to, to have trouble when he gets out past about eight miles. Uh, um, you know, I actually try to convince him to, to focus on, you know, the two-thirds of the events uh, where he shines the most. But he's he's definitely uh, bent on seeing that he could take this world championships. But um, I agree with you. And I, I would say that if you put a percentage on the influence running has over these events, what would you say? I, I would say that it's probably upwards of 75% or greater in respect to the overall outcome. Would you? Are you there, bro? Hello? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. Okay. Yeah, I would... Uh largely agree with you. I'd say maybe it's more than 75% if you factor in what most people wouldn't consider running, which is the vast amounts of uh, hill climbing and ascending, which, you know, for steep ascents of run, it's more of like a power or a climb, but um, that still plays into, you know, the that whole you got to carry the weight with you kind of um, thinking. Um, yeah, I mean, if I were consulting Hunter, if he if he really wanted this that bad, he say has to lop off ten to fifty for body weight. He's he has okay. An you're excess. breaking up. A- you broke up on me a little bit, but I'm going to uh, re-say what you what you said just to make sure the audience gets it, and if he's listening, so I could re- explain what you said. You said he needs to take off about 10 or 15 pounds in order to be successful in that distance, right? Uh, I think he could take off at least 10 to 15 pounds of just pure upper body uh, upper body weight. Uh, and did you did you get that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Like I say, um, you have to consider the sport in its present state. And, um, you know, just due to the nature of the fact that uh, obstacles are expensive to build, it's cheap to make them longer and to have people go up and down the mountains. So the way it is right now, it's still a runner's game and a mountain climber's game, really. So if you want if you want to do the best that you can possibly do with these Spartan races, you want to be functionally fit and proportionally powerful. And Hunter is overly powerful. Um, now he doesn't have any problem with those upper body exercises. And if you, the aggregate time that it would take to complete obstacles, maybe three percent of the whole race. Versus, you know, 85% of it, the time is actually... So, I don't think he just because he loves to work so much, you know, like deadlift and all that CrossFit type stuff. So, that'll never, that'll likely never change. But if he ever decides to turn the switch and become the best person, the 
want to be the best obstacle course racer in Spartan's eyes, then he he needs to learn uh, uh, about 10 to 15 pounds of upper body. Doesn't I don't think he needs it. Right. Well, um, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. I, I'm sure that uh, just in the course of the the events he's got on his plate this year, he, he's going to end up having to 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 lose some weight whether he likes it or not. So it'll be interesting to see. So what do you, what do you have on your uh, on your plate in the next coming months? What, what what's on your on your schedule? Um, it's actually I'm still looking into a crystal ball, really. Uh, um, I'm actually looking to. I, I really like the weighted rock thing um, because as, I, as I've been training for this thing, um, I realized that it's actually, uh, I've been doing. You're fading on me again. Uh, okay. Um, can you hear me again. better? Yeah, I can now. Yes. Okay. Uh, in training for this um, marathon world record, I uh, I learned some things about uh, about how well it translates into obstacle race training. So I've been in preparation for this. I for about two weeks, all I did was weighted rock. You know, like I didn't I didn't I put in very few miles actually on the uh, on the road just you know without a weight. And um, so. So I'm thinking I want to incorporate this a lot more into my training, um, you know, just getting my legs strong because that that's, that translates well to just about everything. I don't need top, like, super fast top end speed, although that helps too. Um, so, um, so I'm actually thinking I might put some more um, uh, uh, into my schedule. There's a half marathon – a 10k, a 5k, um, and a mile, uh, all within striking, um, striking times. Uh, so I, I think I'm going to sort of like, it won't be a major focus, but I think I'm going to go after them and, and in doing so I'm, I'll be doing a lot of training with the weight. Uh, and then I'll be, you know, doing obstacle races here and there, whatever's kind of close by. Uh, I'll, I'll do Boston Marathon. Um, I'll, I'll be back at World's Toughest Mudder and Spartan Race World Championships again, and the OCR World Championships. Um, and that's that's sort of it. I, I don't. I haven't really sat down and um, planned out a, a, a racing calendar yet. Okay. Well, look, uh, uh, Young, our our uh, our show is about to shut down on us in about a minute. So, um, is there anything that you want to plug real quick? You got about thirty seconds. Uh, well, my uh, training platform, my, my uh, business platform, isn't quite ready yet, so I won't won't plug that. But I will be looking into. Um, you know, I'm going to be doing uh, like a a coaching and uh, consulting and obstacle design and product design uh, platform in the near future. So. Uh, you know, everybody who's listening should keep an eye out for that. And, um, you know, I just wanted to thank my sponsors, OCR Gear and uh, Hyper Hyperware for uh, sponsoring me um, for the the world record attempt. And, um, yeah, and that's it. And, and my, you know, and my girlfriend, who's uh, Yvette, who, uh, who's really uh, been a big, my biggest fan and biggest supporter. Well, look, I appreciate uh, I appreciate you coming on. I I know that it was a little cumbersome here with uh, the, uh, the the in and out with the with the connection, but I think we got a good good shot at what you're up to, and I really appreciate having you. So, listen, have an amazing weekend, and be safe, and good luck with your training. Great, thank you. You bet. Bye. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. 
And until then, you have an amazing day.